back to I Am The Night, the weekly show where we discuss Batman the Animated Series, breaking down every episode as they were transmitted. This week we're talking about Fear of Victory, which is not just the second Scarecrow story. I mean, come on guys, as soon as you see the word fear in the title, you've got to know it's a Scarecrow story. It's also the second appearance of Robin at um, Gotham University. 24, uh, episode 24 of the series, episode 21 of our show. With me as always is my partner in crime, my not so much a teen anymore wonder, Adam Ray. How are you? Doing well, sir. Doing well indeed. It's a pleasure to be catching up because this uh, is also not just the second Scarecrow story. This is the second story where we get a returning villain. This is the Ooh, yes. This is the first time we get someone that we didn't had seen previously show back up as the antagonist before. Until then, we've either had minor gangland hoodlums, mafia bosses, or just the villain of the week. This is the first time we've actually seen a supervillain recur again, other, of course, than the Joker. Joker. Yeah, absolutely. And a great recurrence as well. I mean, um, Henry Pollock is back as Joe, as a Scarecrow, and he... Um, I, I was right, because we did a bit of research after watching the show, that he's actually changed the voice up a little bit. He's sounding a bit more British and a little less gruff, so he's actually developing the character. And this episode does do that. It develops the character... And what I love about the show is it's developing the way he uses his fear toxin. We see him taking a separate approach, um, obviously living on the land, just having escaped from Arkham, the first of many villains making the first of many daring escapes. Uh, makes me wonder about the quality of the security in this place, but that's another issue. Or lack thereof. Definitely another issue. We get him doing what he has to to try and make a quick cash on the land. So we see him... Using a powdered form of as fear toxin, the, which seems to be very effective at throwing the outcome of certain sporting events, so that he can make a quick cash of the bookies, and eventually he gets to a place where Batman figures out this plot is in the way. But the fear is still his biggest weapon here in this episode. Absolutely, and what I love is it's taking that old trope of fear of failure. And turned it on its head because obviously everyone, to some extent or other, has a fear of failure. But what Scarecrow's does, and it's a brilliant piece of writing from uh, Samuel Warren Joseph. I think this is the first time I've seen that name. He's done a great job with this episode of fearing what you do well. And like you said, to get some extra cash for his experiments, Scarecrow is trying to get people that are guaranteed um, earners, sports people that always deliver, that always win and make them afraid of performing, of doing their job, so that he can bet against them. And it's brilliant. It's a really clever idea. And the way he goes about doing that, uh, using fear dust instead of fear fear gas or fear spray, is very clever indeed. The fear dust, I would imagine, would probably be cheaper and easier to make, so that he doesn't have to bother with any aerosols, but that's just the practical side of things. It's also good for him, because that means it's easy for him to sort of transmit it to his victim. It goes to them in the powdered form by skin contact or breathing in the dust off of the telegrams he sends into them absorbing it, digesting it, but it not having the knock-on effect straight away. It just has to be triggered by certain emotions and certain reactions, which is why it's worked out so well for him until Batman and Robin... And it's really nice to say that the actual duo of Batman and Robin are there to see him uh, in the act. 
Isn't it great just saying that phrase, Batman and Robin? Batman and Robin. It just sounds good, doesn't it? We only really got to see them together in that Christmas episode, episode two. Um, uh, we saw them side by side foiling the Joker's plans in a much more bombastic and almost camp episode compared to the first episode with Man Bat himself. Yeah. We see the dynamic in the of the dynamic duo them balancing off each other and keeping each other light and cheerful despite the terror of the Joker's foils but Robin obviously went off to his other pursuits probably in his university and such but seeing them together now it's really rewarding but we don't see them as the strong duo because obviously we see Robin under the effects of this fear toxin and usually someone we know for like a master of acrobatics and daring high flying he's reduced to a quivering mess clinging to the side of the building and on a high rise we really feel for him as a Dick Grayson fan absolutely because reading his comics and his exploits over the last 80 years um, he has been one of the greatest daredevils and most fearless heroes in DC history and seeing him um, not being able to perform a task which he's been doing since he was a child on the trapeze is actually really, it, it brings the message home of how powerful Scarecrow is. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this as a writer, I'm sure you have, where maybe you've done a bit of research, you've done a bit of reading, or you've heard a song that you've never heard before, and then all of a sudden that song keeps me playing, or that bit of reading comes up on a TV show. I recently, because of the lockdown, uh, have been rereading a lot of classic Batman stories, and I'm just embarking on war games. But the uh, initial story, War, War Drums, involves Scarecrow, um, sorry, just before War Drums, uh, in a tale called um, As the Crow Flies. And he's actually using fear dust. He's gone back to his original uh, methods. And now, all of a sudden, here we are watching this episode, and the fear dust is back again. So I just think maybe... Certainly onto that. I think it's really interesting because just yesterday, <coughs> as of the time of the recording, uh, during... Uh, nice little spot at lunch. You and I and my mother were watching Batman Forever. Love it and hate it. I don't mind it as a Batman film. It's got a lot of camp, but it's got some really good ideas. Yeah. And Chris O'Donnell's Robin was always done pretty strongly. And yeah. we were at that scene where we first see him and yes. the Flying Graysons. So it was just quite spectacular to see that character, his first big live-action on-screen appearance since yeah. Burt Ward. Absolutely. We see him as this daredevil and this yeah. master of acrobatics. So when you think of that, just such a strong part of the identity that that's how they introduce the character in big-budget Hollywood movies. So when you see this character in another piece of media, a quivering, fearful wreck, we really feel for it. It's another fantastic piece of synchronicity, absolutely. Yeah. And yes, you're right, that film is much maligned, and I don't hate it anywhere near as much as other people do. I think it's a very underrated movie. But we digress. Let's talk about Robin and Scarecrow and this episode, Fear of Victory. Brilliantly directed by Dick Sebast. There's a couple of fantastic moments. But I also have to, again, go back to Shirley Walker and her score. There's a fantastic scene with Batman when he's worked out that Scarecrow's behind this plot goes to Arkham to see, hang on, why isn't he in his cell? It was pretty much the rogues gallery. We saw yeah. everyone that had been sent through. Yeah. Um, and it's not just seeing them. Hmm. One of them is Shirley Worker's music, because as he passes each cell, you get the hints of the themes that this amazing musician has scored for every single one of them. And they don't leap out or jar the episode. They fit and add to the tension and atmosphere as Batman's walking down that corridor. 
brilliant. Really, really good. And it makes it feel like it's a natural progressing journey. And honestly, a sound bite or two of Mark Hamill just really lifts a scene. Well, it's not just the sound bite. Well, it's him. It's definitely him. How Joker knew Scarecrow wasn't there. Because as soon as Batman knocks that fake head off and he sees it's just a straw figure sitting in a chair, Joker laughs. I feel that we've seen the Joker so much in the series so far. Must be like, what, four, five appearances? Yeah. yeah? Um, he knows Arkham. He knows all the easy ways in and out. So, do you think he's behind everyone's escape, not just his own? And he just goes in there every now and then for a rest to recover from the beatings he gets from Batman. You're saying that the Joker treats Arkham like a spa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a I love that idea. Because um, he knew, probably. In this episode, it's clear he, he knew. It's clear he knew. So, if he didn't help the Scarecrow, he was very aware that he left. And as as soon as ba- he knew why Batman was there, and he was just there playing solitaire with Jokers. Even though you don't use Jokers in solitaire, yep. <laughs> Jokers with his face on, yeah. But it was very just great to see him just in complete control of a place he should have absolutely no control in. Exactly, exactly. And hearing it, so again, kudos to um, Shirley Walker's music there because I thought that was an amazing. Not just seeing these villains because uh, Two Face doesn't even speak. No. But you've got that theme in him tossing the coin and Ivy just cowering. It's because the last, the last thing she remembered seeing Batman for was him holding that very rare rose and duress that she was there. She's protecting her plant, yeah. yeah. Superb. Absolutely superb. Um, have to talk about Lauren Lester as Robin because great as Dick Grayson with his buddy in their dorm before the telegram arrives, but isn't he just a fantastic Robin? The way he can go from Daredevil to Adventurer to... The, the fear he portrayed in his voice is a fantastic piece of voice acting. I really felt the emotion. I mean, yeah, you see the beads of sweat over else that the animators put on. But you have to give recognition to the voice acting in this show. There's wonderful voice direction that they can really mm. emote and express complicated, heavy feelings with just the lightest little quiver and the mm. little sort of trailing off of an uncertain sort of, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. And obviously we watched the show together, so you're obviously getting reactions from me as we were watching because I know I'm terribly bad at that. I you, do... Uh... There's nothing, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with loving what you love. I... <coughs> I will fully admit that there are things out there that people love that I just don't get. But when I see someone like overjoyed talking about it, explaining all the reasons they love it, I'll just let them talk because it's a beautiful thing to see. You get that when something's on TV or when you're reading something. Just slow the trickle just a little bit because we're also watching it with you and it's just like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Well, that's, this that's week I had to because this week I had to because I have honestly, this is a first for me. I have never seen this episode before, hmm. and we've worked out um, that the reason yeah, why is... Somewhat controversial. Yeah. Um, there's a scene, obviously, where Batman and, and Robin discover the fear dust, and um, in this country, particularly when this aired, um, this country's been, uh, well, fox hunting aside, I don't know what whatever get came from, this country's always been the nation of animal lovers, the UK. And a scene where Batman clearly has uh, 
a stash of animals pent up in small cages and he does the fear dust test on a cat um i actually found that a little bit disturbing me too but it's a product of its time it's something that sadly still goes on but it was a lot more prevalent back in the late 80s and early 90s until um it, it basically became almost outlawed and the few places that now do it are pharmaceutical companies for drug testing because obviously they still can't test anything on people which is dumb um but hey that's just my point of view so this is an episode while it had some great moments i don't know if it's one i'll revisit um a lot in the near future because of that aspect and i do believe that's possibly why i don't think it even aired at least during the initial run when this series first aired in the uk i've had very hazing memories of this show as it is so i can't say for sure whether or not but where there's been many episodes previous where i've remembered bits or i've remembered Mm. lines or i've remembered the look of certain villains yeah I have zero memory of this episode. I I have never seen this one. I would personally try to remember it because it's a Scarecrow episode and it's a very interesting episode. But the fact that I... And my memory is like... like, Very good. So no recollection of this probably means that I never saw it. I know for a fact, yeah. This is definitely the first time I've ever seen this episode. And um, I will ignore that and chalk it down to being a moment of its time. But there could have been ways to do it differently today, putting it through the back computer or whatever else. But the fact they've uh, presented it, unedited, as it originally transmitted, kudos to them for that. And it's still a very important part of the Batman story. And again, because of the direction, because of the writing, and the different use of Scarecrow's fear dust, um, it's still a very worthy part of the Batman animated series it's yeah it's a very important moment to sort of explain how this character does things and in the context of the episode we can forgive it but I'd like to think that for at least for a modern-ish viewer compared to when it first came out I don't I'd like to think we don't see another scene quite like this I hope not um particularly when you again look at recent episodes like where we met Selina in um, Cat and the Claw, where she's actively hmm. against that whole thing and, and she's preserving wildlife. So I, I just found it a little bit jarring. Yeah. But again, not going to dwell on it. it. It's happened. And at least I can say those kiddies all looked very well fed and very happy until he um, put some fear dust near one of them. So maybe he's just got that as a last resort. But oh, hey, I like that, so. whatever else. But let's talk about... Again, brilliant scenes of Batman and Robin doing what they do best, firing their grappling guns, going to capture the criminals. I mean, you see a couple of hoodlums attempting a dual heist in the middle of the episode, and this is where we see Robin's fear kick in. A nice little addition to the episode. Uh, Towards the beginning, that's where we sort of get the sense that something deeply wrong is afoot, and we can make the connection that it was because Mm -hmm. of something that Robin and his friend, the football player, both sort of experienced. But it's a real testament to Batman that he was able to stop those two uh, dual thieves mm-hmm. and save Robin all at the same time, basically on his own. Yes. He's called back to a time when he was 
a hero doing solo work, which is what we've sort of seen in yes. the initial episode between Absolutely. episode two and now. So it's Absolutely. definitely nice to see that Batman can still hold his own, but Robin's just an extra welcome pair of hands and pair of eyes to just assist on when things are getting bigger and more dangerous. It Also, now that I've put that out, it makes me wonder about the timings of the show. When was... Robin's loss of Flying Grayson's when did because I know that we revisit that moment later on in the Kevin but so how does Robin sort of fit into what we've been viewing now how does he sort of fit because the only way I can do it is is by trying to tie it in with the comics as much as possible because again there was a period in the comics where Dick left and went to university so he's got to be 17, 18 that kind of age and which means that it's changed so much in the comics he's gone from being Robin for a couple of years in his teens to being Robin for six years and that's the most common note so if he left when he was 17, 18 that means he became Robin when he was 12, 13 um, which is very young but looking at the drawings looking at the size difference between the two characters that is the most consistent way of looking at it the way I'm seeing it in the animated series is he was possibly Robin for a year or two. Mm-hmm. So he came in at 15, 16, which is more akin to Batman Forever. He was more a teenager, too young to go off on his own. Because if he was 18, he's an adult in the way that really he could look after himself. But 12, 13, I think, wouldn't have worked in the context of this show because you're going to get kids watching it and getting all sorts of ideas. And that's a lot of what the censors of the 50s and 60s was against saying... Uh, and it's come up ever since for many years child endangerment what the hell's Batman thinking but um, to my mind in this show he was probably Robin for a year or two between the ages of 15, 16, 17 went off to college and then we'll see further down the line in the new adventures him moving on to become Knight which makes total sense when you think about it because the last time we saw him was when he was fighting alongside Batman to deal with the Joker at Christmas when he was on leave from his studies exactly that Okay, thank you. I I like reasons for things, and it still didn't quite line up timings-wise in my head for as how he could be there, but also not there. But yeah. it's nice that they were able to sort of... Yeah, he's gone to university, him. and um, yeah. So, also ties in that he took Robin on about a year into his career as Batman. Robin was with him for a couple of years, and then Robin moved on. That's That way it makes the most sense, yeah. Yeah. logically, and in, 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 in timelines. But um, I love what you said. The, this is a Batman who's extremely capable and used to working alone. Because, yeah, he was alone for about a year. Then he got his partner. His partner went off to college. He had to readjust to being a loner. But having Robin there is like having the ultimate backup. I yes. mean, Batman is a force of nature on his own. But together... And we see that in full force right at the height of excitement at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's really well punctuated yes. by the sports commentators. Yeah. Just there speaking in the background, oh, this could be a danger for Gotham. Oh, look, he's swooping in out of nowhere. He catches a touchdown. Just them yeah. matching the football commentary with Robin swooping in and taking the fear toxin away just before it hits the ground. It was so dramatic and a little bit... Mm, over the top but I can't say that it actually was over the top because it just made such a magic moment don't know you're right it was totally over the top but I just think that's a fantastic piece of storytelling when you get these colour commentators which as you know I'm a frustrated colour commentator of my own I tend to call the moves in wrestling matches before the colour commentators even do it and you look at me and you think how do you know all these moves how do you do that you are such a 
Joe Gantic nerd. Yeah, yes, no. guilty as charged. But I just love, love that whole touch. Like you said, it matches the football, yeah. but it also matches Batman and Robin's antiquity and scarecrow. And usually, at least personally, the demographic of people watching this show may not be necessarily the people who also watch football. I generalise, of course. Yeah. But I feel like that would be a sort of split. So finding that way to put that bit of that part of the world, like the commentary on football, to be able to make it mirror a match Batman was a lovely little unexpected way of uh, tying stories together and tying two different sort of spheres of interest together which I thought was really really nice yeah it's a way to bring people together absolutely absolutely and again lovely little character touches with Jim Gordon having a couple of scenes as we've already mentioned the villains sitting in their cells at Arkham Uh, brilliant moments of Batman and Robin together I just love saying that Batman and Robin Batman and Robin It's, it's just great um, but Scarecrow himself, his genius is, pardon the pun, terrifying. He's a scary individual. And I just love this innovation. What I love in the comics as well is how, considering they've got to keep writing these characters, keep these characters fresh to an audience for years, decades, forever. And whenever you get a new spin on a classic character, it makes me really happy. And the fact that this animated series was doing that from the get-go, this is still like 20 episodes into season one. Um, Thoughts? It's very nice that an episode 20-ish episodes in has only needed to recycle another supervillain this one time. Yeah. So it's nice to show that the show as a whole can still keep itself that fresh. It still has that many stories to tell. It hasn't even revisited anyone else yet and I know that there are still some huge heavy hitters oh, to yeah. come that they haven't even mentioned yet Ooh, yeah. as the character of the Scarecrow I find the best sort of interpretations of him are the ones where he has mastered fear I know some versions where he is still timid but only puts on the Scarecrow get up so that he feels like himself yes. I personally love this Scarecrow, mm-hmm. and I also love Killian Murphy from Batman Begins. Yes, absolutely. The, uh, that version of Jonathan Crane, who owns the fear and knows how to use it as a weapon to make himself progress, is much more interesting because that is much easier, a much easier villain to sort of identify against and yeah. feel revulsion towards. Because yeah, totally someone who finds uses fear as a weapon is not someone you can really trust or like. So. Then finding another way for him to just sort of not even do some grand plan of destruction. It's just him amassing some capital out of the sake of greed and yes. to keep him, his back safe. So him tormenting people just to put himself ahead is just makes him seem so monstrous here. I, I cannot agree with you more. I've always loved the aspect of Scarecrow where he doesn't just enjoy making people scared. He thrives on it. That's his passion. That's his whole aim. And while there is something to be said about the timid Scarecrow and then becoming the figure of fear when he puts the mask on, I agree with you. I prefer him when he's just out there to scare the living bejesus out of people. And my favourite Scarecrow stories are the ones where he does that. And when you see him, well, I don't know if you know this, in the comics, when he first started out, he used to perform these experiments when he was a professor at university on his students. students. And if that is not sick, twisted and evil, then I don't know what is. Yeah. 
And I totally agree with you. That aspect of Scarecrow, and you said Killian Murphy in, in the Batman trilogy, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, when he does that, it is fantastic. Yeah. That's my favourite version of Scarecrow. Absolutely. So, as we do every week, um, favourite little moments, favourite little touches, anything that made you laugh or cry or cringe or little standout moments from that episode, good or bad? I love the dramatic and grand sweeping heroics of seeing the two of them together yeah. and it was really rewarding and I really felt for Robin as he went through this mm-hmm. transition of being terrified to finding himself again but aside from that I actually did have a question mm. right at the beginning of the episode we saw Dick Grayson and his friend the football player staying in H. Wilson Memorial Dormitories is that a name that I should know? The only H. Wilson I know of is the old English Prime Minister Harold Wilson, but I don't see how that would translate I've... to Americans. Um, that's a very good question. Listeners, if you can answer that for us, we'll do a little bit of research and uh, see if we can come up with an answer for next week. But no, Adam, that's a very good question. I paid it no mind. I just thought it was there. But they tend to be yeah. nods of the hat to writers and artists. But H. Wilson... Maybe to my shame when I look it up is not a name I recognise. So very good question. Thank just, you for that. I just wanted to show that the attention to detail that the animators and world builders have putting it into the set dressing of like brief moments of scenes is just showing that they can really care about the version of Gotham that they're putting across. And that's something I can really sort of respect, even down to like the posters saying cancelled dramatically over them or yes. the huge grand arenas and stadiums that all these sports matches appear in. It's nice to show that the animation done traditionally with the big map paintings yeah. can still be that intricate and finely tuned. It's a very hard thing to do on that sort of grand scale. So very nice which very nice to look at, which is for me obviously I've said the bit I didn't like but we're not going to dwell on that I have to point out a couple of moments which really 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 made me happy you see Batman and Robin driving along in the Batmobile and all of a sudden they have to brake suddenly because they see a jeweled necklace fall in front of the car and then they look up and they see the jewel thieves in action and with one little line you see Batman and Robin's mentality, the way they look at what they do, time to clock in. Yeah. This is the job. This is what we do. This is our version of putting on our suit and tie, polishing our shoes, getting on the subway and going to the job. This is that. And that little line for me says more about Batman and Robin, about these characters than virtually anything else. And it's a line. It's one tiny little line. But again, kudos to Samuel Warren Joseph for writing that because in that one line he's literally summed up up Batman and Robin perfectly I thought that was fantastic and we have to give a uh, credit to the legendary Kevin Conroy who says it like very dry yeah but with no negativity that I know a lot of people can get about their jobs this is just something that they do and he's taken full ownership of it yeah and springs right into action without any hesitation spot on couldn't have said it better myself the way he delivers that line is matter of fact but correct me if I'm wrong but I also felt like he says it with a sense of pride yeah because this is what he does he has chosen this crusade and he does it with a great deal of pride because 
that looked like they were in a very tall building with, on a very quiet mm-hmm. street with, in the middle of the night. They could have very easily gotten away with it, but he knows that he's done some good and prevented the loss of thousands. Ooh, imagine that happened during the life, during the day, yeah. with these statues and gargoyles being tossed off buildings. I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm so glad sometimes Batman operates at night because yep. of the, the civilians and collateral damage. But uh, yeah, that was a lovely moment. For me, that was a brilliant, brilliant piece of writing where you can tell that these creators know these characters. And the sense of pride that Batman has having his son virtually at his side is very similar to how I feel <laughs> watching and reviewing these shows with you every week, mate. So thank you for that. From one dynamic hero to another, it's great to be on this crusade. Thank you, sir. Couldn't do it on my own. Um, so that's our take on Fear of Victory, the 24th episode of this wonderful wonderful series that we love so much and uh tween wonder <laughs> where can our listeners and readers dc comics news and dark Knight news find your work they can find them on the aforementioned great websites i review many titles for dark Knight news and dc comics news you can also find me on our joint venture our pride and joy fantastic universes.com where i talk about my one true love tabletop gaming find me on Twitter at IsItTinkerer, I-Z-Z-E-T Tinkerer, where uh, you can message me about the various promotions I do about my writing and just discuss some various uh, trading card or tabletop role-playing game antics and yourself, sir. As always, yes, um, you can get easy links to all my news reviews and interviews on both DC Comics News and Dark Knight News just by simply going to your search engine of choice and typing in Steve J. Ray or to check out our website where we talk about everything fandom not necessarily just Batman and DC at Fantastic Universes by again doing a search for Fantastic Universes please do um, hit us up on Twitter if you know the answer to the H. Wilson question and for anything else you've got to say about this show, about the DC Comics News podcast, about the Spinner Rack, and people, be warned, our new show, our fourth show, the weekly Mad Love Harley Quinn cast, where we talk about the new DC Universe, sweary, violent piece of magnificence that is the Harley Quinn, the animated series. But uh, again, word of warning, that one is for grown-ups, because the language and the attitudes portrayed by the podcast hosts um, is clearly in tune with the series itself so you have been warned Um, this show all those other shows can be found on Spotify Stitcher Apple Podcasts Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts both DC Comics News and Dark Knight News can be found across the internet and on social media at Facebook Twitter Tumblr and YouTube to give us those comments to answer any questions please hit me up on Twitter at lstevo el underscore s-t-e-e-v-o so this has been the I Am The Night podcast with Adam Ray here's the night we are the night's And Adam, our readers and listeners really need to do one thing, don't they? Read more comics. And watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye now.